With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. City of Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. Chronicles podcast. I'm your host today, Mina Rizuki, and as always, I am joined by the glorious Nikki Bandini. Hello, Nikki. Uh, Simon, our producer, just told me that I need to wrap up my breakfast. <laughs> I just want to explain. It's 3 p.m. Everyone, yeah, on a on a nice what is it Monday afternoon in London. Uh, for me, at least, uh, everyone's in different places. Yeah, but this is this is I th- see, in Simon's defence. I feel like there are three of us, and even <laughs> though you and I are in the same time zone, meeting, I feel like we're actually all on three different time zones. Because I think that is si- also true. <laughs> Simon's obviously on the other side of the world, but like you and I both live in the same country. But like you go to bed later than me, so I always feel like there's like three of us, and we're messaging each other. That's like working our way through like three different parts of the world. So <laughs> it's hard to know where it is. 
Yes, Nikki actually sent me a message about, you know, like trying to organize the show. And I responded at 5.30 in the morning <laughs> and then realized that might just be a little too late. Incidentally, her alarm went off half an hour later yeah. because she starts at 6. And that's about the time I went to sleep. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sometimes up at 5, so we almost crossed over. To anyone listening, they must be thinking what's going on. And if you do yeah. hear screaming, there isn't anything, you know, weird going on in my household, I swear to you. I'm just right outside a kindergarten school and there's a girl that, that's very unhappy about being a student there. And every now and then she throws a little strop, you know. Maybe she's just a big Paula Dybala fan, Nina. Maybe she just caught the news about Dybala and she's she's upset. <laughs> Well, you know what? It did start in December when there were like question marks about the contract renewal, you know? So just saying. obviously that is the breaking news, Nikki. And that is something that we will save for the show. Mm. I think that'll be a really interesting one. But we do kind of have to start off with the biggest game of the week. And it is indeed Sassuolo versus Spezia. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Derby della Capitale. <laughs> My brain's like, what? You honestly threw me off for a second. I was like, wait, what? Which game are we talking about? No, it is Roma's astonishingly good performance against Lazio. It was nothing short of magnificent in every way, in preparation, in execution, in mentality, in, I just don't even know if there's any more ins, to be honest, but if there was ever a match in which a a team totally dominated another and put on the performance of the season, it was indeed Jose Mourinho's Roma against Maurizio Sarri's Lazio. Credit where credit's due. This has been home to a lot of criticism of Jose Mourinho's Roma. And this is a wonderful match to restore a little bit of faith in this project that they're building with Jose Mourinho to make us all smile again about the possibilities. But it also doesn't take away from the fact that we have to see what happens in going forward. And, you know, and I don't think it takes away from any of the criticism that I feel has been fair of this team. But this match, Tammy Abraham, take it away, Nikki. Yeah, Tammy, Tammy, Tammy. It's all about Tammy Abraham. I mean, it's it's also about Jose, who um, when you were saying about a smile, I was thinking, I don't know if you saw that Instagram um, post he did of, uh, I can't really phrase it now. It's like (laughs) when you know the match is going to go well and your picture before the the game on the team bus is the same as the one after us. It's just his face all close up and smiling. But um, yeah, Tammy Abraham, what a story. Scored in, in the first minute, 56 seconds was the official time, which made it the fastest ever goal in a, a Rome derby played in Serie A. Um, his, actually, I don't think this has been as widely reported, but his second goal after 22 minutes meant he had the fastest two goals to get a brace in a, a, a Serie A Rome derby as well. Really, really uh, uh, incredible um, game from him. And he could have had a hat-trick, should have had a hat-trick, really, in the second half. Cristante gave him a great ball that could have made it three. He also uh, put Pellegrini through in between his two goals and could have had an assist in it. Absolutely sort of game-defining performance. And look, I mean, the goals he scored, the first one is just purely right place at right time. You know, that's a a corner from Mm Lorenzo Pellegrini. It comes back off the bar and and he's there underneath it waiting to put it in. The second one is is something smarter. It's a really well-timed run. I thought nice body control as well because the the cross that comes in from Karlsdorp was nice team move, the belt up to it. But the cross comes in from Karlsdorp is a bit behind him. Um, but he adjusts to it and, and finishes quite elegantly. But 
I think there's two things going on. And some of this, um, the, the Chronicles Tifosi patrons have already heard because I did do like an immediate reaction to the game, which contains some of this. But there's the one element of this, which is Tommy Abraham's a goal scorer, right? He, he was a very a productive goal scorer in the championship with Bristol City and Aston Villa. Uh, he had a good, pretty solid season uh, goal scoring in Chelsea. And until Thomas Tuchel came along and Thomas Tuchel basically said, like, I, I as admitted, he didn't have much faith in him. I think that he's doing it as well as he has anywhere in his career at, at Roma, the, the numbers speak for themselves, 23 goals this season. And he's now, I think, um, second only to Robert Lewandowski in, in Europe's top five leagues, his number of goals scored in 2022. But on top of that, I think this game, and especially the way Roma started this game, with such intensity, such aggression, such a high press, and so much of that led from the front by not just Abraham, but Abraham and Pellegrini. I think that also really speaks to something else that's gone on with Abraham this season, which is Jose Mourinho, who we have criticised, and I will continue to criticise for all the things he gets wrong, but I think he has got under Tammy Abraham's skin, and he's making Tammy Abraham into an aggressive front foot forward, centre forward, in the mould that Mourinho likes. And I think that's where we can also open this up and say, you know what, it's a great win for Roma, it's a great performance by Tammy Abraham, and it's a great day for Jose as well, I think. I think it's important that we say, like, what I thought was so interesting about this is that it's it was so different to the way that the first match went, right? And obviously, like, when we think about the 3-2 win to Lazio in the reverse fixture, it was a very confusing match because, firstly, we didn't know what and who Lazio were. They were mm. a team that were very vertical and different in the way that they played under Zaghi, and they were trying to be molded into something different, obviously, for Sadi, you know, introducing Sadi ball, Sadi is more, whatever you want to call it. And so they were sort of stuck in between two identities. But I think what worked so well for them in that game was the fact that Pellegrini wasn't on the pitch. And Lord Almighty, do I love this man. (laughs) I mean, if there is a more delectable free kick goal, please show me. Because nothing, nothing is more glorious than that free kick. That was a work of art. That was pure perfection. And that man, when he... When he like really shows up, he really shows up. I mean, there is so much talent in his feet. There is so much vision and creativity on the ball. Posto disponibile quando Pellegrini va da punizione gol! Pellegrini come con la Juventus. Questo è un altro disegno del capitano della Roma che la batte all'improvviso, la batte sopra la barriera. Dalla un destro non può tirare, ma lui fa 3-0. Il 3-0 della Roma al 40esimo minuto è un'opera d'arte. He was absent in the first game. Yeah. Yeah, he was absent in the first game. And I thought that what what worked so well is that they adopted a very inzaghi like vertical type of football in that. And it kind of threw Roma for a loop because that's a little bit of what they were trying to do themselves, you know. And Lazio dominated the flanks. They were excellent going forward and they were just very fast and compact and managed to really um, pick on the weaknesses of that Roman defence. Now we switch it around and now we come into this match. And what I thought that Jose Mourinho did so well is prepare, 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 prepare on a tactical level. He studied it well. And I I was very impressed with that. And and maybe it's much easier to study Lazio now because they're not caught between two identities. They're not trying to find the instructions of Sadi. They've pretty much adopted them. And we can see a clearer, 
not a, you know, a, not a well-defined Saudi team, but a clearer Lazio team that is now being coached by Maurizio Saudi. So we understand a little bit more of what it is that they're trying to do. And he stopped that dead in its tracks. It was overwhelming. It is always having runners off the ball who made intelligent runs. There was always a free man that was running vertically to provide an outlet for a pass. It destroyed Lazio. And and I think it is those off-the-ball runners used so cleverly that made the massive difference for me. And I and I like that it was done so well. It was an interesting point because someone said, I wonder how the game would have been played if the goal wasn't scored so quickly. Because it, that changes a lot from an emotional point of view, from a mentality point of view. That gives you a lot of strength for Roma. And I don't, it shouldn't really take away from Lazio, but for Roma, they were much more able or confident to play the game that they know how to play. I wonder what would have happened if it was just a goal that came after 15 minutes rather than the first minute. I'm interested to see that. Um, and a lot were saying, you know, there were no drops in concentration. There were no um, massive flaws that came from Roma. And actually what was so great about them was that they kept hunting for more goals, kept hunting for more goals. But again, it's it's much better to do when you manage 3-0 at half time and to be yeah. confident and to manage that when you are against a side that is now completely broken. Yeah, there's so much into that, isn't there? I mean, I think the the not letting up thing, it was um, one of the sort of many little iconic moments in this game was Jose Mourinho 3-0 up before half time when the Cordova started giving it the ole, ole about every pass. <laughs> He was like, not having it. Like, I'm going to go over there and, and tell you guys, shut up. And the Kurva listened to him. I'm, I'm so... Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Can we... You brought this up, but I'm really, really sorry. Can we not discuss that comment? Like, did you not laugh when you read it? Like, because it was on the one hand, he was saying, oh, you know, you know. Actually, I'm just going to read the comment, yeah? Just just a second. T-T-T. Um, I don't like a player interpreting that Ole as a game being finished or they're putting on a show. Respect is very important. We won by three goals, could have had four or five, but respect for the opponent is essential. It's kind of like, you know, I stole your husband, you know, I know it's bad, but we still must be nice. Do you know what I mean? It could have been four that's, or five. That's such yeah. classic shows. And I mean, it's, do you know what? Like, I'm, I, I think I one, thing I really, I one thing I really want to say about this, this game, like, I think we've had two Rome derbies this season. And they've both been iconic because the first one yeah. had Maurizio Sarri at full time underneath the quarterback with an eagle on his arm. And it was such an image, you know, Sarri, who's this sort of, I don't know how to describe him. I mean, everyone's seen him, so I don't need to, but like this sort of slightly sort of comes across as this avuncular, slightly sort of schlubby individual sometimes, you know, with his cigarettes, but just standing underneath the, uh, the, the quarterback with a massive eagle. I mean, they're huge, the eagles. And then this game has Jose in full flow, not just during the game, but before it. I mean, there was a comment um, about, oh, well, you know, we've had to play 90 minutes and um, Lazio will be at home smoking cigarettes <laughs> with, with, with Sally. But also the one that I thought that was really striking in terms of telling you what Jose's relationship is and, and how things are, are going with him with the Roma fans. When Zeman kind of I don't even know, don't even know if Zeman was really coming for him, but Zeman was interviewed before the game and, and said, look, I'm just being objective. Sarri's doing a better job than, than Mourinho is. And Mourinho's response to that, which is manager who's won 26 titles, doesn't have to listen to someone who's won Serie B twice. And that's a classic Mourinho response, right? It's a very Mourinho response, but it's also like one of those comments that for another manager in Rome could have exploded on him because Zeman, while he's, I think a lot of people, 
Juventus fans probably think of him that way. A lot of non-Roma things think of him that way. A lot of Roma fans love him because he went there and yes, he didn't win what he was hoped to. He was certainly, you know, didn't get the, the end result, but he went to Roma and he spoke in their view, truth to power. He said the, un- the unsayable things. He stood up to, to Juventus and, and the big forces. And for that reason, the ultras in, in, in Rome actually still hold him in very high esteem. And so Mourinho could have been treading on thin ice with that comment, but he wasn't because he's established himself now in such a way with those fans that they, they, they are on his side. And I think that's remarkable when you consider that the results, as we've talked about, look, they're not going to finish in the top four probably still. The results are not overall where people hope they would be. But I think that that buy-in from the players is so important. And you know, that the comment about smoking cigarettes with Sari was kind of just a bit of fun. That wasn't even an offensive one. Sari took it in good humour, said I've stopped smoking, actually. They were still smoking at the final whistle. <laughs> yeah. But but I actually think the point you made, Amina, was so important because it's totally reasonable to assume that these Roma players, a lot of whom did play on Thursday night, should have been knackered. They should have been the ones who were tired in this game. And I, I really do wonder if you don't score immediately, whether this goes differently. And I think that, Probably, though, is another credit to Mourinho that he told his team, look, we've got to go hell for leather in these first 15, 20 minutes because we have to win it while we are still here. And if you don't do it then, then you sort of start slower. Maybe you never kick out of that gear and you end up playing a a sluggish game because your legs are tired. Yeah, it, it is absolutely that. It is going hell for leather straight away. It is also understanding that if you have watched you know, Lazio over the seasons, you know that they start off the season really well and somewhere along the lines, it it, it doesn't work out as well. Um, and they start to drop off under Inzaghi. Obviously with Sadi, there were problems of like the tactics and trying to absorb that. But they are a team that can be mentally weak at times. And, and it is about trying to destroy that. It is about trying to play very vertical football. It is trying to, you know, it's the way they won back possession. There was just this this desire, this happiness. And it is a lot derived from that energy that you get of, of it being your fans, of like having, you know, Totti in the stands, of it being like this Roman fixture where Roma were the highlight, right? Like a goal immediately and it's going to keep pushing you and pushing you, which is which just what was remarkable as well is that we had seen two years of just we saw this as well in the Napoli game against Udinese, but what a crowd and how much of a, like that makes a difference to have a full, you know, number of people watching you and pushing you on and the atmosphere that you hear. I mean, we just came from two years of COVID where we just really couldn't enjoy that and how much of a difference that makes when, you know, you've got this brace from this young Englishman who has really grown, scored only left Robert Lewandowski scored more goals in 2022 than this man, you know, than Tammy Abraham who has gotten a lot of criticism, you know, and I'm not, I'm not here to tell you he's the world's greatest striker, but he is somebody that's working hard on, on trying to be, you know, on, on, on listening to what it is that he's being asked to do on listening to the tactical um, instructions and is a coachable guy. He listens and plays, he plays with his feet. He tries to bring everyone in. He's there to score the headers. He's there to, to try to use his physicality if he can. And, and he, and he's still like nimble and mobile enough to make it all so perfect. And, and I think that's what I like so much uh, about his progression is about having players like that. You know, I, I, what's next here's the thing yeah 
I mean, you, I thought that was interesting what you were saying about like how he, the players, are, not the players, rather the fans have really bought into everything that Jose Mourinho said. And that's why he was able to say that about Zeman. Would he have responded, like, how was that going to work if he had lost to Lazio? And are Lazio just the team that have really found their team at all? That's, that's a great question. If this game goes differently, does that change everything for Jose? Maybe it's a derby. It's so big in Rome, and especially in a season when nothing else well, not nothing else, because they are through to the quarterfinals of the Europe Conference League. If they win it, I think that will be celebrated, even though it's you know it's not the biggest trophy. It's not the one they're aiming for. I think it still means something um, to Roma. I think you could see that from the crowd on Thursday night. By the way, there was a real crowd there. There was there was real attention on it. But but nevertheless, the derby is is huge always. And in a season like this, where you're not quite where you want to be in the league, I think it feels even more so. And so it was a really important game to win. And I think winning it so emphatically really is um one of those moments that can that can change the trajectory for the better for Roma. I think it's it's not to underestimate. You know, I, I really want to say I, I, I probably shouldn't let this be the, the Tammy Abraham podcast, especially after I did a thing, but I, I you know, just what you were saying though, Mina, about the um about the crowd and, and the reaction to it. You know, one of those moments again that just stayed with me a little bit was after the game, him being interviewed on the pitch and being asked to sort of explain how it feels and him saying, I, I can't, like, I, I really can't tell you what this emotion is to, to hear that. And I just thought what a striking thing it must be. You know, you are in a country that isn't your, 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 your home country. You know, it did take him a little while to come around to the idea of moving to Dorma this summer. He didn't do it straight away. He had to be talked into it a bit. Um, help that Ficayo Tamori was already in Italy and talked up to him. Help that, that Jose Mourinho was there, who he has described Again, just this last week, he described him as someone who is still an idol to him, who remembers from being a Chelsea and, and he was a starstruck by. But I think the, the, that moment when he was underneath the curva and they were doing the, you know, the um, autoparlante, the PAs that are doing that, he's shouting his first name and the crowd all coming back with Abraham, you know, like they say Abraham in that Abraham way. I, I think it was really moving, actually. I don't know, like I felt like it was one of those sort of makes your hair stand up moments and I wonder what the future holds for him. Uh, Chelsea do have a buyback option at 80 million euros. I think they'll probably want to take it up if he keeps playing like this. I think he has been quite explicit about wanting to, to win the Champions League and, and big trophies in his career. And I, I wonder if it could even end up being a one-year adventure if, if they don't get into the Champions League for that reason. But I hope it isn't. I hope he, he's there for at least one more season because I think it's, it's a really wonderful story that's being written with, with Abraham in, in Rome. On the Lazio side, because we have talked a lot about Roma, I don't know, Mina, I, I think this was a real, really deflating result. Obviously, they're such an up and down team and have been all season. I keep thinking that they're getting close to turning a corner under Sarri and, and then they don't. And, you know, even in the sort of the little details, like, you know, they, Roma had another of their sort of academy graduates, Zalewski, starting at left wing back. And, and you thought that that was going to be a weak point for them. You felt like Felipe Anderson had been stationed opposite him to go at him. And they couldn't win any of those yeah. duels. They couldn't win anything. Yeah. Um, it, was a really, uh, it was a really bad night for Lazio in which there was very little to redeem at all in their performance other than, I don't know, one good touch from Chilo Immobile. I remember him having one really great touch to bring a ball down in the box that he then didn't follow up by, by finishing it. That's, that's about all I can remember. Here's the thing. Sadie says, I don't want to play midweek. 
because I don't have like a whole week to prepare and this is a thin squad yeah again these types of comments make me really angry but and then when you haven't played the whole week and you ha- you know and you have had a week you know like like Jose Mourinho has said to smoke your cigarettes you know with your team have you just stayed smoking cigarettes and not really shown the passion of like maybe a win midweek would have actually jolted you and made you a happier team because I'm still one of those who believes that wins bring more wins with you you know yeah, I, I I think that's a really, really, um, yeah, it's, it's an observation I, I hadn't thought about. And then as, as soon as you said it, I was like, God, yes, I do remember him sort of making that point where we haven't got the squad for it, we can't do it. This is not how I expected this game to go at all. I was watching that Vitesse game mm. on Thursday night and I thought, this is not what all I need. And, you know, at least a huge relief for them to score that goal in the 90th minute and not have to go to extra time. So if they go to extra time here, it's, it's you know, it's done. They're going to completely kill their chances for the derby. And it's it's really a bad reflection on Sally that they couldn't get a better performance than this after having all those extra days to rest up and and prepare. I I just don't know. I I have actually got a really big soft spot for Mezio Sally. I I want him to do well. I'm I'm one of those people who will never sort of will never like not want to cheer a little bit for the the midlifers for the ones who get into football in the Odigosaki way, coming out of a not football background. It becomes something because I think that's cool, right? Like. The idea that we all have the power in our lives to go on these journeys is something that's really compelling to me. But I, I don't know that, that this season, if I can really vouch for his performance as a manager in a big way, because while there have been some really, really impressive wins, it's all been so alternate, so on, off, on, off, that it just doesn't feel like it's building somewhere. Yeah. I mean, to his, to, just to, just to quickly mention this, because we do probably have to move on from now. But I do sort of feel like moving from Inzaghi to Sadi was quite a big shock to the system in terms of, of philosophies. And I guess it is going to take some time. I still think like there were performances that Lazio have managed that have been really fantastic. But this one, this certainly wasn't there. And and I think when they were almost caught between, it was interesting because they managed some big wins when they were caught in between two identities against Inter, against Roma, obviously. And now that they are a Saudi team, they have actually managed to consolidate and keep a better defense, but they've also lost the element of surprise. And maybe now they they have exposed their fatal flaw. And it is one that I think that Jose Mourinho has done very well at, which is these off the ball runners and, and how to work your midfield to win back possession, overwhelm, and, and it really worked. So with Rome, it's going to be interesting to see because they've got Sampdoria, Salernitana, but then they have Inter and then Napoli. So I want to see how they perform in those matches. They're still three points off where they were at this point last season, but doesn't matter when this could just be the exact springboard that they need to, to go further. And we also don't know who's going to stick around for next season. We shall see. Moving on to a team that's had less than a pleasant time recently with more hashtags of Allegri out that have caused me all sorts of anxiety. You'd think I was married to the man. Um, (laughs) But the topic of conversation quickly changed from Juventus being a failure in the Champions League to Juventus being a Dybala-less squad next season. Uh, News broke out just before we started recording that uh, there was a meeting between Juventus directors and Jorge Antun, who is the agent of Paolo Dybala, and they haven't come to an agreement about renewing his contract. So as it stands, I'm still somebody who thinks things can change at this level, but as it stands, Dybala will not be with Juventus 
from the summer onwards. And so this will be his last season. Is this good news? Is this bad news? Where is he going to go next? Where do Juventus need to, to go? Because let's be honest, that performance was nothing short of... I actually don't think it was a hideous performance, but I do think there needs to be a lot of work in trying to revive the squad and having one transfer market in which you sold some players and brought Vlaovic is not enough to rescue all the mistakes that have happened over the years. So what's next for Juventus if they don't keep Dybala? Sometimes, Mina, like with these um, hashtags and, and names, like I just think like they, they sometimes people's names hit, hit different, right? Like an Allegri, the, the, Allegro in, in, in Italian means joyful, like it means upbeat, like happy and so when you see Allegri out like in my mind there's always a little uh, thing that pops going joyful ones out misery only here no more happiness like that's that's what I always see when I see Allegri out like I see like you know get out the happy ones which you know can be the mood sometimes around this sort of post nine titles Juventus when things aren't perfect they're a disaster um look Allegri is is his future is one thing. Dybala's future, I think, is is the big thing for the moment. And and he certainly does seem to be on the way out. And I think there's there's no surprise in this for me. Like this is something that I think a lot of us saw coming from the moment that Juventus made it clear that they weren't going to do this contract that was verbally agreed in October, supposedly, for eight million euro a contract I mean eight million euros a year with a couple of years of million bonus on top. Um I mean, funnily enough, there is a part of me that thinks that fits well with joyfulness out because Dybala at his best is a very sort of fun footballer. He's a footballer that's fun to watch and who... Um, if you're not a fan. Brings that sort of... Well, no, because that's what, that's what he does well, right? He's, 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 um, he's a dreamer's footballer. Like he's the, he's the footballer for the ones who want to believe in beauty and 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 things happening that are tackling football technically yes Vina, yes <laughs> not your ruthless boring juventus get on a train and ride it to a one nil victory we want to take the scenic <laughs> route we want to go down a country road and and watch the birds and the butterflies and 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 someone doing things with the football that most people can't do i at the same time, I've said it before on this podcast, and I, I stand by it. I think Juventus are right. He misses so many games. He misses 15, 20 games a year with injuries. And maybe if that wasn't the case, I'd feel more willing to defend him because I think I fall slightly on the camp of, of believing in his talent more than you. But the cost combined with the sort of frustration that sometimes he he can disappear when he is present, combined with the much more tangible, no, he really isn't present for that many games every season. And I just think the, the maths don't add up. Like, especially when you've obviously just gone out and made this big investment in Vlaovic, you've obviously put your future of your attack in someone else's hands. You're doing something different. You've already got Kiesa there as well. So you've got a whole different idea of your attack, what it's going to be next season. It's one too many investments in that part of the pitch unless you really believe in it. And I think they don't really believe in it. So take that money and go spend it somewhere else as far as I'm concerned. I think that's fine. I'm, I'm sort of more curious and interested in, from the point of view of this story, where Dybala does end up and whether or not he can become a, a better fit for someone else. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a little bit thrilled with the news, I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> and that's, 
not because I don't think the player is talented. I think he's obscenely talented. But just like in a marriage where love is not enough, <laughs> I, love, I love going into these metaphors. Yeah, talent isn't enough. And I and I and I believe for me that when you are injury prone, he, actually, this is the best way that I can explain this to you. Juventus are losing one nil, and it's a Champions League match, and there's a half to go. So 45 minutes, and you have three options on the bench. I'm going to name old players from Juventus, yeah, or ones that are injured. You have Federico Chiesa, you have Marilyn Pjanic, and you have Danny Alves, and you have Paolo Dybala. Who are your three changes? Obviously, it depends on the opponent. But weirdly yeah. enough, <laughs> you're not picking Dybala, right? <laughs> yeah, just, or it's going to be a toss-up between him and the third choice. Because mm -hmm. you're going to look at Chiesa as always the man who makes a difference. You're going to look at Pjanic because you think if you control your midfield, you're probably going to win it, you know? Or you'll look for an attacking fullback because you think a cross might save the situation. But with Dybala, you're never sure. He's not a sub that comes on and changes the game in the way that Luis Muriel does for Atalanta. So as a sub, he's just, he's great with his feet. He knows how to obviously create space for himself. But too often he is back there, you know, like trying to pick up the ball from deep. He's not in the positions that he is supposed to be. When he is in the right space, when he has found that for himself, when the team is playing against an opponent that offers more of that and he's not being tackled and bullied and harassed and everything like that, then yes, he is glorious on the ball. He is that guy that you watch on FIFA, but... You know, Royston Drent was also a good footballer. No one wanted him on their team. <laughs> you know, like, again, I'm not comparing him to that. Yeah. But like, as in, I just think sometimes talent is just not enough. You have to have everything else. You have to be coachable to the tactics. You have to be able to play in, in you know, various different formations and, and still be a leader, still be the guy that turns around and be like, come on, guys, I need you to do this. What I was so, what I thought was so interesting is I just want to know that Karim Benzema is on 8.5 million. I actually looked this up and this is what Marca said. So if it's not right, blame it on Marca because I haven't done any other studies other than that. This is a guy who, when they were down, he turned to Luka Modric in the midfield and said, I need you guys close to me. I need you to move up closer to me. That's leadership. Do you hear that from Dybala? Do you, do you understand what it is that he wants? Or is he just not really adding that much when the, when the situation is down and out? This is what I would like from somebody who's wearing the captain's armband. It is a Kilini leadership quality or it is a or it is a forward that tells me what he needs Vlaovic speaks and says I want the ball here I want you to do that I want and he's new and so I think that for me is also another reason why I'm thrilled it's just a lot of money Juventus right now they just don't have it frankly speaking and they have to be a lot more careful about how they spend it as well and I think that when you have Vlaovic and you and you do want to it's more important to spend that money on the midfield right now because as we've seen that is entirely where you rule the game and it's just not up to scratch. We saw that against Villarreal. We've seen that in many games this season, which is why Juventus have to suffer most of the time. You can tell me I leg these out. But again, I, unfortunately, I've engaged with far too many people on Twitter about rubbish um, and very little on actual facts, you know. So 
present me a midfield that is worthy of Juventus and we might just see a better match. You'll never be excited because this is still Juventus. Juventus made defensive football look amazing under Marcello Lippi. They have never been Saki's Milan. They have never been Barcelona under Pep Guardiola or Johan Cruyff or whoever you want to name. They are always a clinical, ruthless side that will never thrill you, but win. They always win. So they're not thrilling you now and they're not winning in the Champions League, but at least they are in the Serie A. And this is, you know, it was another win against Salernitana, 16 great results in the sense that there's not been a, a loss, 11 victories, more points in 2022 than any other Serie A side. It is Salernitana, so let's not get carried away. And Dybala did score, so yay for him. Um, but where do you think that Juventus probably need to to invest in or, or go from from here? And what do, do you blame Allegri? Do you know me now after the um the 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 Champions League exit? And I know we're gonna have a bit more of a sort of conversation about Italian clubs in Europe and, and where everything's up to in, in the Patreon episode this week. But one of the sort of takes that stayed with me a little bit was just it's not a novel thought really, but I just I saw someone um a, a sort of a, a Juventus reporting journalist in Italy talking about how they're, they're still obsessed with trying to buy Giocatori who are already fat, that players are already made, players that are already are sort of ready to go. And I think what I would love to see a little bit of summer at Juventus is at least something underpinning everything that's organic. And I think that when you look at the sort of the the, the big clubs that have fallen and then pick themselves back up, I mean, obviously Barcelona is such an easy example right now, but you, you think, well, there, there's a core in there of something that is Barcelona, you've surrounded it with other players. Aubameyang coming in makes a big difference, but you've also got your your Pedri and your um, Gavi in midfield, and you're, you're bringing things up around that. Where is where is the willingness of these Juventus, or even Roma using Zalowski at the weekend, have relied on a bunch of other sort of Juventus? Where is the willingness of Juventus to at least sort of give yourself a, a bit of something that's that's homegrown in there as well to, to build around it? I was really frustrated at the weekend that. Minetti is there on the bench, comes on in the 91st minute while you're bringing on Danilo and whoever else. You've played Salernitana, you've won the game. No one's worried about not winning that game. Give something else a chance in that moment. But I think they're going to finish the top four and, you know, they'll, they'll be in the Champions League again next season. They might even finish ahead of Inter the way things are going at Inter. But I think that's what I would love to see more than anything at Juventus right now is a willingness to, to do a little bit of that alongside is that- the players you've signed. I'm going to ask you this. Who's homegrown for Real Madrid? And Pedri isn't. I mean, he arrived in 2020 to Barcelona. So they have Gavi. The rest is what Ferran Torres, Eric Garcia, who's, who is homegrown, but let's be honest, is, is a terrible centre-back. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, when you are trying to make top four, and money counts a lot for this because of obviously how much money you'll make, is this the time to be introducing youth? It's Salernitana, Mina. It's Salernitana. And, and Salernitana drew to Milan 2-2. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did, right? And actually, yeah. Juventus win these, lose these games. They lost to Elas Verona. They lost to Empoli. They probably would have lost to Salernitana. And also, you're right. I do. I would love to see that, but I'm happy to go with that because when Pelo was trying to play Porto Nova and when he was trying to um, Frabotta and, and invest in youth, people were like, this is not the time for this. We have to win. We have to win. <laughs> And so what I would like to know is, is that if you're a fan of this club, what do you want? You know, do you want the youth? And sometimes you might not win every game, but this is the way it's going to go because we're trying to start a new cycle. 
Do you want results where it might be dull, but you know what? Hey, they're results. Because all I see is pillow out, sadie out, legly out. So anyway, I don't know where to go. But for me, at least, rather than focusing all these things because the man has a contract, probably best to focus. Yes, I don't necessarily think you need to buy brand names, but I do think there is a genuine desire to go for younger players right now. Locatelli, Chiesa, those types of investments are worth it, you know? And I think they're they're good, they're good investments to make, frankly speaking. What's interesting is that while they are doing while Inter had a great reputation for what they managed in, in, in Anfield, doing less so in the league, it's kind of a little bit of the opposite of what Juventus are going through now. What's happened to Inter? And it how dependent is this team on Rozovic? Because it's it's starting to be weird. It's like they don't he can't doesn't play and the team just falls apart entirely. One one against Fiorentina, another two points dropped. They are now only one point ahead of Juventus. Uh, six behind Milan, but of course they have that one game in hand that everyone talks about and we will talk about, I feel, until the end of the season. I feel like we'll finish the season and the game still hasn't been played because we just need to talk about it all the time. What is happening to Inter? Yeah, well, you, you picked up on Twitter, actually, Mina, and I, and I, I liked it too. There's a, a line in Gazette de la Sport which compared <laughs> um, that game in hand, which was once a treasure, to the, the banknote of a crash currency. Which is very well written, by the way, Chicago who's a wonderful writer, actually. So he does that sort of wonderful writer metaphor very well. I, I don't even know whether to call this a point, two points dropped for Inter, or whether it was a point gained. I think the last two games against Fiorentina and Torino, they, they've been quite lucky to get anything from them uh, with how they've played. So it's bad. It's really bad, Mina. I think at the start of this year, Inter sort of started this little wobble. And I was able to sort of look at it at that point and think, well, all right, but they've run into a very sort of tough run of games, right? You know, you played Napoli, then you played Liverpool away. You came back and it was Sassuola who were playing well. That can happen, fine. Draw with Genoa was pretty ugly at the time, although since then we've seen that Blessing hasn't actually lost any games yet at Genoa, so fine. You draw with Milan, you're like, okay, still, fine. It's Milan, it's not good. But oh, that was the cup game, so of course they, they, they'd lost to Milan before the league, but fine, it's Milan. So you've played all these difficult games, fine. Mostly difficult games, a couple of games mixed in that maybe you should have got more from, but okay, this was a horrible run of games and now you've got to move on from it. And they had that big sort of rebound game, it felt like against Salernitana, where Lautaro scored his hat trick and, and it was like, okay, this is going to be okay now, right? Like Inter are going to get back on track. And they haven't. They had quite a good performance away to Liverpool in the Champions League. They played well in that game, I thought, even if the, the Alexis Sanchez thing and the sort of late uh, failure to push on was, was disappointing. But the two games since then, uh, Torino and Fiorentina, I mean, I'm not knocking those two teams again. You know, these are teams that have something competitive about them in, in different ways, but it's not good enough if you're trying to win the league now to look at this whole run of games and say, seven points from seven games? It's a disaster. It's a disaster. Like you've completely thrown away a position of total strength in the league to such a point that now I'm thinking this team could easily finish fourth. Like it really could be behind Juventus and and probably not dropping out of the top four, but still like a really heavy slide. And your next game is against Juventus as well, by the way. And I agree completely about Brozovic. Without Brozovic, that midfield is is way, way weaker. We talked about this a bit on the last episode and I was saying that I think that 
it's one of those areas as well where maybe we see the absence of Ericsson a bit more in the fact that you haven't got another energy star. You don't have someone else who can put the foot on the ball and control a game. We talked about Stefano Senzi, so I'd be repeating myself to a certain extent with those with those comments, but yeah, it's it's really bad. Okay, I, I thought that's interesting that you're you know you're mentioning obviously like it is without Brozovic and that it is much weaker and that they don't have an alternative to that. But here's the thing, like, you know, Napoli have had to do with lots of absences in, in their team. Milan have had to do with a, a constant carousel of injuries and absences to their team. And they've managed to find ways through. We're taking out one player out of Inter and the whole thing just falls apart. Now, the one thing that I find, you know, obviously, you know, they've had this massive summer and it's an interesting change. And... The one thing is that Inzaghi will never be the man manager that Antonio Conte is. Yeah, so he'll never like get that level of effort that Antonio Conte manages to get from his players, perhaps. But what his super skill was was, I think, his his tactical unpredictability, his ability to produce attacking football, but also manage to find balance within that. And I just, I think, I think that's why I'm a little bit disappointed with him. You know, there was a lot of talk about his substitutions. He made some rather bizarre substitutions yet again when he decided to take both Sheko and Lautaro Martinez off. And I can maybe understand that, but you've brought in DiMarco and Gosens, so you've wanted to majorly improve your left-hand side, who then drop crosses for who exactly? Who, who's there in the middle to, to, to score from these crosses? So the whole tactical, you know, people love to tell me that Allegri has no tactical brain. And if he did produce these patterns of play, then Juventus would be interesting. But he doesn't actually have anything to work with. But this is what bothers me about Inzaghi is he does. You know, why can't Gosens and Perisic play? Why can't you post, push Perisic closer to the front and actually use him the way Hans inflicted at Bayern Munich? He is that bad man who's capable of his feet, but he's also a man who has incredible aerial ability. He can score wondrous headers. What would have happened if maybe Gosens would have just been behind him and then he was allowed to move in a little bit, play a little bit more with Jeco or Lautaro, or leave one of them on? And I just don't know if there's enough exper- experimentation there. Because they don't have a team that is absent of four or five players the way that me and Anne have had to do with for most of the season. It, they really are not absent in any way. This is a full squad with a superior bench to most. And they are not utilizing it in the best way. And so I will stick up for Inzaghi when I feel like people are harsh on him. But on this occasion, on a tactical level, I think there's something missing there. And I don't think enough experimentation is there. And I think that he's had it easy by having Brozovic fit. But you cannot have a team where you take one piece of the jigsaw out and it falls apart like Jenga. It's just, it's crazy for me. So after all this time, Mina can finally see that Antonio Conte was the man. He was the only one who could make Pazza Inter into sensible go-win-the-title-Inter and actually, Kimi Lukaku, Ericsson, Ashraf Hakimi, and Izagi would win. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, Mina, I think they're not going to be able to get all those things, even though Lukaku, I think, wishes he could go back. But they might just get Paolo Dybala, which I'm sure will fix everything in your book. Yeah, I mean, that's all, exactly what they need is another nine, <laughs> is another player who just creates a lot and doesn't actually finalize. <laughs> Let's see. But. If we are going to talk about Allegri being a little bit rubbish at Juventus and Nzagi being a little bit rubbish at Inter, we know there's one coach out there who's doing a tremendous co- a tremendous job. 
And no, I'm not talking about Spalletti because that belongs to Arsenal, but rather Stefano Pioli. And another win, top of the table, flying high, Cortomuso. <laughs> it's another 1-0. Love you. Love you for managing a 1-0. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> but he's doing the job and it's working. Yeah, and he's, he's even willing now to accept that Milan, who've been top of the table for weeks, are actually in the title race. So that's, that's a step forward <laughs> as well. Uh, I think he said at the weekend, 30% chance for us, 30% for Inter, 30% for Napoli and 10% for Juventus. Um, this was a weird game, I thought, actually, because actually um, Milan were... I thought Milan were, were in danger of doing what in what Inter of, of well, it's no Inter which is outplayed, but they were in danger of, of not getting this result. Um, they 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 had so many chances in that first half, and then they finally scored with a great goal from Benazir. But a game that probably should have been like a three or four nil win stayed first of all at nil nil longer than it should have done, and then at one nil till the end, and you thought it just takes one mistake from here to to blow this. But they didn't blow it. They did win it. It was a brilliant goal from Ben Asser. It was like an alley-oop. Like Giroud like lays the ball up to him and he just volleys it in and it's gorgeous. And I, I think this Milan team is feels right now to me like it's it's the the front runner. To me, it's not 30% for all of them. For me, it's it's 50% Milan right now, I think. Um, which is not a hundred percent, guys. So when it doesn't happen, don't come for me, right? 50% is still a coin flip. <laughs> it's still 50%. Yeah, but but it's bigger than anyone else's shot. It really is now. I think they're they're playing the best football, probably. Uh certainly in good enough relative to the other teams that when you consider the point fact they have got a three-point advantage on 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 Napoli, a bigger advantage now than everyone else. I, I think that puts them in the driving seat and yeah, they just need to keep it up. And, and they've, they've got not the most horrible run-in. And that's the other really big part of this. They've, they've cleared their biggest games. Um, so what you need to do now is to show that you can keep winning these matches like against Cagliari, which you did. Unfortunately, I do want to sort of bring up on this game so we don't miss it. Like this was um, a good result, but it ended with some yeah. horrible stuff. Uh, Mike Magnan was celebrating in front of the Cagliari fans, was uh, racially abused. Kai Tamori was also by him by the time when it happened. Um, it's just really, it's really shit that it keeps happening in this particular stadium. This on a day which they actually had on the monitor before kickoff, they had uh, an anti-racism campaign with Samori in it. It's it feels really. What's what's encouraging is that I remember when this happened to Moisa Ken at Cagliari, and even even some Juventus players like Bonucci were like equivocating, going, "Oh well, you know, he provoked them; they provoked him." There was none of that from Milan. Milan were on it. They condemned it. They were straight away. His teammates stuck up for him. But Cagliari, it still feels like, end up in these stories and you don't hear the sort of straight away condemnation from them of the, of the supporters who've done it. And I think that's really frustrating. No, I mean, there wasn't even condemnation. It was Jao Pedro defending his fans. Jao hmm. Pedro was saying, I didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. I don't... This is sort of like saying... Listen, I, I understand, but you, you know, you're saying I don't hear it, and maybe at that point he didn't hear it. But you don't actually know what he's saying. I've been here for a while, exactly. So you you haven't seen them racially abuse Romelu Lukaku. You haven't seen them racially abuse Moise Keane, who who was a baby at the time, and 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 you haven't seen all of this before you. So this for me was it really 
upset me his reaction to this you know like you cannot just defend your fans blindly and I do feel the club has taken steps forward at least in the sense that Janini the the president of the club has gone and given lifetime bans to racists evidently not enough of them have been receiving these bans but the club at least on that level has started to ban these ban these fans and saying we don't want anything to do with them they have come out and spoken about it it is something that they need to step up again and make sure that these fans are also banned going forward. There is at least on that level a change, but it doesn't really help when Jao Pedro, frankly speaking, who I am upset, has been called up to the Italian national team, then goes ahead and says this. It, it, really, it really disturbs me. But anyway, I, it's a conversation we shouldn't be having. We say that all the time and it'll be another year and we'll still be having it. And I guess that's what's what's remarkable with all of that but congratulations anyway to Mike Manian and Tamori on a fantastic performance I'm still strange and and, and still strange to understand how Tamori was not called up to the England squad Nikki I think you have a, a nice little interview coming up with him yeah I I might have spoken to him um last week and talked about a few topics including um England, he didn't know at the time whether or not he was going to call up or not. Talked to him actually about racism as well, which again was before this incident happened. Um, but really, really fascinating guy, really enjoyable conversation. And um, yeah, that will be coming out in The Guardian at some point in the next few days. So um, yeah, look out for that one. Amazing stuff. Uh, and all the other, obviously we have run out of time because there were other major, major games to talk about. It's, uh, we want to say chapeau to Spalletti for changing his tactics in the second half, bringing on the glorious Mertens. God, what a wonderful, wonderfully intelligent, uh, on at least on a tactical level player that he is. Um, and listen, if you don't if you don't extend your contract, Napoli, Juventus are there and waiting for you. So it can be like old men. Um, <laughs> and Osman is God. My God, what a wonderful player. What a wonderful mentality on that man. Um, also, Sassuolo, yet again, another win. Very interesting to watch. Fiorentina trying to make the most of it. We've already spoken about that 1-1 draw against Inter. And it's worth noting that January managed their first win. Hey. <laughs> it was seven draws. But finally, they got that win against Torino. And you know what? When they score a goal, then lose a man to a red card and just really dig in defensively, it was all very delicious. Anything yeah. else you'd like to note, Nikki, before we wrap up? Yes. Yeah. One more story that definitely needs to be um, highlighted. Mustafa Cisse uh, scoring the, the oh. winning goal for yes. Atalanta against Bologna, 18 years old, was playing in the eighth tier of Italian football for a club uh, as the Linascita Refugees, which is a club that is formed um, to take in foreign players who are um, mostly uh, um, seeking asylum in Italy. And has been playing there for the last couple of years since he came over from, from Guinea and uh, signed for Atlantis youth team from there. So again, the eighth tier to Atlantis youth team in February and had played three games for the youth team, scored three goals. So it's shown that he could do some things for the youth team, but gets drafted into the first team squad for the, the, this game, essentially because Atlanta are having an enormous injury crisis up front. It's kind of remarkable even though they've dropped off a bit in the top four race. Remarkable they're doing as well as they are, given how many injuries they've had. And and then coming off the bench uh, to score the winning goal, a, a really cool football story, I thought. And um, another sort of remarkable Atalanta discovery. They, they always seem to find someone else when they need to. 
Yes, and it's interesting to note that their sporting director might be moving on. I wonder where he'll go. We will discuss in greater detail how Italian teams have performed in Europe. We'll be talking about Atalanta, of course, and their big match against RB Leipzig, as well as talking about the fallout and the dramatic surrounding Juventus' exit into Milan. What's next for the Italian teams? Okay, before we leave you, I think it's important to note that Italy will, of course, play in North Macedonia um, to see whether or not they will qualify for the final game, which could be either against Turkey or Portugal. And this is, of course, qualifying for the World Cup. It's a huge match. Roberto Mancini has announced his squad. There is no Balotelli. There is Jao Pedro. And a lot of the, the names and faces that we know, albeit with a few injuries, sadly. Nikki, I guess I want to ask you, are you confident? No. I'm really not, Rina. Oh, no, don't say that. I wish I was. Not against North Macedonia? No, I mean, look, Italy should 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 certainly get through this semi final. Although, I, you know what? I, the problem this is almost what I worry about most, Mina, is that I feel like Italy have exactly the habit of this is a very traditional habit. Maybe it's not a Mancini habit, but it's a tradition. It's our traditional habit to look past the small teams because we're thinking about the big game, right? And so it would be very Italian, I think, to go into this game too confident about this game, thinking about the 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 Portugal game or the the Turkey game, and not take. Um, North Macedonia as, as as seriously as we need to. I find some optimism in in individual players' form. I was so happy seeing Pellegrini score that goal because I'm like, yes, go on, take that with you into the national team because we flipping need that right now. Um, it's been nice seeing Belotti playing good football again recently. It's uh, encouraging those Sassuolo youngsters. Yeah. I I personally, Joao Pedro, I kind of hope he doesn't see the team. Fine, if you want to take him, that's fine. But I, I think there are other players I want in there ahead of him. Me too. But I'm I'm really nervous. Um, and I think that's inevitable because four years ago, we didn't make it. Um, so it kind of doesn't matter who we're up against. You know, we were better than Sweden four years ago as well, and we didn't beat them. So take it seriously and, and be a better team than, than, than the one you're up against. Maybe Sweden doesn't have individuals, but as a collective, I think they're a, a much better team than North Macedonia's. Oh England. yeah, that's that's yeah. Not didn't mean to compare them directly that way. That that they're very no, very no, different. No, I am comparing them. I am confident of North Macedonia. I do agree with you that sometimes you know you start thinking about things that happen next that you're not concentrating at the task at hand, um, and so that does worry me a lot. But hopefully, even if it's just an individual moment of magic, you know the problem is is that with this team is that they cre- it's a little bit like the Italian problem which is happening in Serie A is that it's a lot of chances created not enough uh, none of them converted very few converted you know at the end of the day we're looking at Osman and Vlaovic and as pretty much the two that are converting um, have been over the last two years in Italy uh, obviously other than other great you know Tammy Abraham as well sorry but when you when you look at this, it's it's kind of a problem for Milan over the week. It's been a problem for Inter. It's been a problem for a lot of teams. Um, so I I really hope that it won't be a problem for the Italian national team. I just it's just two goals, you know. That's all we want is find us two goals, okay? And try to defend like your life depends on it. And hopefully, um, I'll be honest with you, I am confident about the first one. I'm just not confident of what happens after that. So fingers crossed. But. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Take it away, Nikki. We'll see. We'll see. Just to let everyone know, um, if Italy do make the final of um, the uh, playoff, then we'll be recording our podcast after that next week. So if Italy do go out against North Macedonia, you'll get a podcast at the usual time. If not, then we'll be doing our main podcast later in the week. Just 
true story, you know that goes ahead of time. So that's all we've got though in our episode for this week. Um, we'll be back on Friday with the Chronicles Q&A mailbag show. Uh, we'll be back for our Chronicles Tifosi on Patreon, as Mina mentioned, with a look ahead to, not with a look ahead, sorry, with a reflection, some reflections on the European performance of Italian clubs in the Champions League and the Europa League uh, this season and where we think Italian football is up to in Europe. So that is something for the Tifosi uh, to look forward to this week. Do check out our website at sierrachronicles.com. Click that Chronicles Tifosi button if you want to get into all that good exclusive extra content. Or you can support the show with a one-time tip on the website as well. Uh, you can send us a question for our Q&A episodes via the website or on Twitter at sierrachronpod. And you can find us on Twitter, Mina and I at Mina Rizuki and at Nikki Bandini. And lastly, please subscribe to the Serie A Chronicles YouTube channel if you would like clips of the show. We will be back, as I said, on Friday with the Q&A episode. Until then, bye. squadra di Cesare Maldini ha affrontato questa gara con ben 11 giocatori diffidati quindi il rischio cartellino giallo c'è la linea te Vieri, 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 sì, gol, gol di Vieri gol di Vieri al quarto del secondo tempo Cristian Vieri mette dentro il pallone importantissimo dell'1 a 0 e vedete la festa degli azzurri Vieri è stato rapidissimo e svelto oltre che furbo ad approfittare vedete di un errore di Zveiva ha controllato e poi con il sinistro ha anticipato anche l'uscita del portiere Ovcinnikov portando in vantaggio gli azzurri gol importantissimo primo storico gol segnato da una nazionale italiana sui campi di calcio di Mosca Sports Social Podcast Network It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.